Hello and welcome back everyone for another podcast episode of Acido Magazine. My name is Emre Schentürk, host of the show and founder of Acido Magazine. And today I'm going to talk about China and its uh, position within the international arena. So let's get started. When we think about China, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Obviously, if you're not Chinese. There are many associations that we have with this country, depending on where we live and what the relationship um, of our home country is with China. In most cases, if you are within the Western world, and I mean, um, we just use it as a buzzword to also include countries like um, New Zealand and Australia, and so on and so forth, let's say, so the white world. If you belong to that, you will probably not have a very positive opinion on China. There is a lot that speaks in favor of it, especially the genocide on the Uyghur Turks in East Turkestan, um, which is falsely claimed to be a Chinese uh, province. And therefore, there are very grave violations uh, or atrocities going on in China. Uh, very well that we uh, criticize this country for a lot of acts that they conduct. Unfortunately, in the Western world, criticism is often limited to economic points and to kind of minor developments in the political realm. So China is kind of controversial, controversial um, in many contexts, but especially for the West. Driven is this obviously by the interest of the United States to remain um, yeah, the biggest economy in the world, the most powerful country in the world on paper, as well as keeping the power discrepancy uh, towards China in that regard. And obviously that China is not very portrayed in a, in a favorable light, makes sense and media is uh, obviously controlled in the United States. But then the question is, there must be something that they fear. And in all fairness, uh, regardless of how um, yeah, cruel uh, the Chinese government is actually um, yeah, killing and uh, incarcerating Uyghur Turks uh, there, we also have to acknowledge this, that China is a very powerful country and that there are reasons for it. It's strength in the international arena is mostly due to economic factors and today I want to talk about um, yeah, a mixture of how Chinese politics actually works, what are the underlying principles and why they are so successful uh, internationally. Because it is kind of a multi-layered um, aspect and, and approach. The reason why I elaborated on all these medial things is because we are encountering many articles um, and and uh, yeah, kind of uh, content uh, in the news about China that is um, very negatively associated, but from uh, also a very multi-layered um, on a multi-layered basis. For example, just recently they they were talking about some some sort of spying balloon. Um, because there were no other points that they could be raised on China during that time as kind of a um, gap filler or diversification in order to um, yeah 
further the negative attitude towards towards China. It is kind of um, it is kind of interesting to see these things because then again um, you can see tensions arising between the United States and China over Taiwan, which is again a whole different uh, topic. You might well ask, what is the deal for uh, or what's in for the United States in the case of Taiwan? It's just a necessary uh, unnecessary conflict for them. But in the end, uh, the United States of America tried to suppress or yeah, go against China wherever possible. And they're using quite unconventional methods because they are also in the media coverage. They are quite reluctant to go yeah, to make a full-scale uh, attack on China verbally. On the stock market, there are blacklistings of stock companies, uh, of Chinese stock companies at the you know, um, New York Stock Exchange. But it's not like they're uh, totally banned and most of the bans are also then revoked, etc., etc., so it is very interesting because in other countries the United States is far more aggressive in how they pursue kind of the the, the, the competition and, and bringing um, the other country down. Reason for that is, or one of the main reasons for that is, that China, the societal structures in China are totally different from what we know in in other countries and societies. The Chinese society functions because they have such a disciplined social coherence, which they are also actively building and then sacrificing the individual within the process, that it's kind of, yeah, you cannot penetrate it from outside. You cannot understand the logic of the societal structure and the social dynamics within um, those people. We can give the example of Chinese immigrants elsewhere. They are always very enclosed in their communities, are limited to um, yeah, certain professions and kind of stay within themselves. But never ever was the case that Chinese people yeah, were kind of criticized for not being part of the society they moved to. They have some sort of bond and discipline that keeps them together and shields them from external interference. Also, when they're somewhere else and kind of um, yeah, refuse this, uh, this in-depth interaction. And this is all we can say from an outsider perspective. And um, if uh, yeah, there are um, listeners and um, out there who are Chinese, I would very welcome uh, some comments on, on the remarks or the ob uh, ob uh, observations that I just made, but in my analysis, basically this is the main thing that keeps China, that informs also Chinese politics. You can see this, how the stock market and the economy is also managed. It is actively managed with the goal of kind of bringing society further, which is very interesting and also um, yeah, kind of uh, honorable because in other societies, the collective aspect of advancing um, as a strong group kind of is not the first priority. Stock markets, for example, in Europe or elsewhere in the world, um, in India, or for example, um, yeah, you, can, you can basically take any other country, stock markets are there to generate profits. But in China, they can use or they use the stock markets actually 
to um, fulfill uh, societal goals. Most prominently, the split between um, the share regimes. You have two or three uh, exchanges in mainland China, and then you have the one in Hong Kong, which is actually the hub where the foreign money comes in, and you kind of switch it into one. Um, and when you switch it or uh, exchange the currency there, you're basically protecting your exchange rate regime. This is only possible because the state is uh, intervening in a disciplined manner, which is very important, and the social coherence here is kind of protected. In one of my videos, I told uh, you guys that I believe that one day or quite recently or in, in the next uh, couple of years, this will change with um, the fixed exchange rate and uh, capital borders um, will be opened. I'm pretty confident this is going to happen, but also this is going to be um, a move that the state is going to orchestra as well as manage in terms of um, at developing China. So the companies do not have a say um, on that one, first of all. And second of all, it means that their profit maximization orientation is subordinate to the higher societal goal of becoming the superpower. So this is actually one of um, the prominent aspects of Chinese uh, international politics. And there you can see that this enclosed and disciplined manner of being one block, even though consisting of many, of many, many in, uh, individuals, is very important and very successful. And because China is so concentrated on itself, it enables it also to kind of yeah, be a prominent actor in international politics and development uh, strategies without being a colonial power. And this is actually the main argument or the main topic of uh, today's episode. When we think about the Road and Belt initiative of the Chinese government, we can see that they have a very clear vision of what it means to make international politics. The Road and Belt initiative is, is a yeah, kind of a plan, a global plan of expanding infrastructure and developing infrastructure in third world countries. And not only third world, but wherever uh, the Chinese can get their fingers in. It includes railroads, airports, roads, uh, ports, and uh, yeah, all sorts of, of other, also tele uh, telecommunications infrastructure in a variety of countries. For example, um, Nigeria had the other day, they opened a very, uh, yeah, I th the biggest port in their history, and it, is, uh, it was developed and, uh, by, chi by China, and is also uh, operated in a joint venture um, with a Chinese state-owned company. They get from this deal, I think over 60% of, I think they have 50% equity, and um, from the operating profits, they also get like 50 to 60%, if not more, which is quite a big share, obviously. But in the end, they're interfering in the Nigerian economy without interfering in Nigerian politics. And this is something that sets China apart from all the other countries that were interfering in other, um, in other nations. 
most prominently the United States. Wherever they go, they leave also an ideological mark. Or if we think about uh, Europe, they exploited the African continent for over 500 years and imposed Christianity on them. Um, you cannot see this uh, with China. Yeah? China is approaching things differently. As well as the United States back again in the, in the Middle East. We can see it all the time that not only an economic, military and political mark is left on those countries and regions, but also an ideological one. And this is something that China doesn't do. China is too much concentrated on what they want to do and how they want to make politics and how they want to advance, that they are not looking elsewhere for kind of spreading their ideas and so on and so forth. It's enough if they have their infrastructure in place, get money from this and can fuel um, economic growth at home. This is not only in economic terms a very powerful tool that they're utilizing, but also um, politically. Just recently, China managed to re-establish um, kind of the communication between Iran and Saudi Arabia. This is a milestone, this is groundbreaking actually, because those two countries, they can't stand each other at all, at all. If China is able to win the trust of those countries in the context of uh, within themselves, obviously, I think they have a very, very powerful political elite um, that is that is orchestrating things. And they have very lucrative deals going on there, as well as with reintegrating uh, Russia into the global economy um, through the close cooperation that China has with Russia now. So because of that, I think the world has a pretty good or world politics. In world politics, we have a pretty good understanding of how Chinese um, international politics works towards them. So when let's assume you are the head of government of some random country and the Chinese government is approaching you. You can be sure that they are not going to impose any uh, yeah, ideas on you that you don't like and don't think are, are working in your country. And that's fine. And then, you know, with Chinese, you're going to talk business. And because of that, there is a certain... Yeah, fundament of trust in a sense that they are not going to interfere into your internal affairs and they don't. They just want your money and that's perfectly fine. They want the infrastructural power and that's fine. They're going to offer you something. For example, in Nigeria, we, we might think, well, the port is quite expensive for them. Yeah, but otherwise they wouldn't have a port. And because of that, it is, it is fair deal-making they're sophisticated at it. Um, they're very, yeah, they're very aggressive uh, at it. They're pursuing their interests, and that's totally fine. On the other hand, if you are against China, this is certainly concerning, and definitely not going to be uh, easy to deal with if you want to see China um, at a lower position. But because you are not able to behave on the international stage as yeah, just a, a normal state and respect other countries. It does not mean that the other one is outright bad. They are doing bad things, 
domestically, also internationally, no doubt about it. But that's not the point. They're still successful and they're going to be successful. They're going to be uh, even more successful in the future. They're not going to stop the genocide on the Uyghurs when they get more powerful. It's just going to get worse. So how to deal with China? That will be the next question. So we talked about they are economically expanding through the Road and Belt Initiative, um, building infrastructures all over the world. They are good at deal-making and accordingly they're building trust and alliances. All this wealth is going into China itself. So how can we deal with this country? Well, the answer is that we shouldn't. At least not if you don't have a stake in this country. This is something that politics still has to learn. And I don't, I, I um, just can underline that I'm not saying politicians, but politics needs to learn this. We need to develop this understanding in politics that if you don't have a stake in kind of bringing someone down, um, you shouldn't do it. And you need to exceed and excel, uh, exceed them and excel yourself with yeah, your own powers. And this is also one of the main themes of my book, uh, Devlet, because here it is uh, contested that one of the main things to do is to focus on your own country and your own development in order to um, be better than the next one, basically, even though being better than the next one is not a goal or an end in itself. Um, and I'm going to elaborate on that in a bit. But what I want to say is, and this is just to make it explicit, you know, the, the United States of America or any European country, they should not try to bring China down, but they should try to exceed um, or be better themselves in order to kind of um, keep the competitive advantage towards China. But who else can intervene in China and try to bring them down? Obviously the Turkey countries, because their people are getting slaughtered and murdered there in concentration camps. They are the ones who can actually attack China verbally, but also militarily, because they have all the rights to do so. They have all the rights to do so, and they should. They have a stake there. But once the stake is also not there in attacking China, they shouldn't do it again. Right? Meaning if they would interfere militarily in China, resolve the situation, take back the land, then the situation is over. Then peace relations or uh, peace talks can start again. But if you do not have a stake in another country, don't interfere with it. Don't try to bring it down. Because it's just going to weaken yourself. And if this is the recipe of how to deal with China. I can understand that within a world order where money and power are all of the state's main purpose and main goal, that they try to be better than the next one because power and money are relational. Money in itself in an absolute term doesn't mean anything just as power doesn't mean anything. They also they always need a counterpart in order to measure the values against one another. This is not the case in Devlet. In this book I contest that states need to rethink 
their goals and aims. And here the concept of uh, genuine knowledge production is the main thing that states need to focus on. I'm going to talk about this one in a whole different episode, but just to summarize it, what I mean by that is by focusing on yourself and becoming better yourself, you can keep this competitive advantage. If somebody comes too close to you and this bothers you, don't shoot him in the leg. Try to be faster. Is It is the same thing with states. And it is, it is the same thing with the China situation. So if the United States have a problem with China being so powerful, they need to be better at alliance building. And this doesn't mean, and this is not an invitation for another round of imperialism, but rethink your approaches. Uh, try to copy some of the approaches um, try to be smarter than the Chinese. If they're better or getting stronger each and every day, they're apparently doing something better than you, right? But on the other side, if you have a stake in a country, and once again, I'm talking about the genocide, but it could be, and it's the same analogy towards uh, the, the Russian um, U Ukrainian situation. There is a certain stake of the Russians in Ukraine and they're they're trying to get it. I'm not making a judgment here. This is also a topic for another episode. I'm going to talk about the Ukraine conflict um, very elaborately in yeah in a couple of weeks because I still uh, I'm still waiting for some developments to unfold. But nonetheless what I say is if you have a stake in another country you depending on what it is if it's um, non-material or kind of yeah, of a lower nature, uh, then it yeah, doesn't have to be militarily. But in the case of China, for example, there are some countries that have all the rights to um, yeah, invade China and actually um, protect their people. That's perfectly fine. But on the other side, if you do not have a stake, don't interfere with them. It's that simple. Last example, just to underline it, Turkey, Turkey, uh, I'm still, um, yeah, <laughs> I still need to get used uh, that we switch, uh, switch the name of my, of my home country internationally, but Turkey invaded uh, Syria three times. Each, each operation was about 40 days, I think, 40 to 60 days, and after the last operation, there was basically peace in Syria. Why? Because they had a stake, their border region was destroyed completely. And because uh, yeah, our towns and, and our population there was at great risk, they um, interfered, they invaded Syria. And after the third invasion, it was all done. Basically, after that, we had peace, right? And once again, this is the case in China. A very powerful country, very smart about how they do international politics. Definitely um, admirable and we can see or we can use many uh, strategies that they have. They have a very closed social system but also a very closed economic system um, therefore. But in order to kind of handle China, don't interfere with them if you don't have a stake with um, in interfering with them. Uh, 
and if you do interfere for so long as you um, can can resolve the situation or until you resolve the situation and after that concentrate back again on your own prosperity and your own development as it is yeah famously also written down in devlet so i hope you liked this episode and see you next time around for other interesting topics as i said the list is long and yeah i'm happy to see you back soon so take care and bye